right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to iTown in part two of this series called Pray First. I want to take just a minute to look into the camera, say hello to our church family meeting in other campuses. To those of you who may be joining us live online through itownchurch.com or watching there on the app. And then, of course, the correctional facilities all across the state. Come on, church, one more time. Let's put our hands together, welcome each other. Go ahead and grab your Bible if you brought it and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we started there last week. We're going to go back there to Jesus' teaching on prayer today. Uh, if you did not bring your Bible, you can just pull up your cell phone and click on the iTown Church app. You'll find a fill-in-the-blank version of the notes or maybe just the notes section of your phone where you can take some notes or even just a pen and a piece of paper because we believe the Holy Spirit is going to speak to us in these moments that we study God's Word. I think it's so important that you jot it down. And as you get all those things ready, I just want to say that we are entering week two of our 21 days of prayer. And this is a season of focused prayer, always uh, preparing ourselves for what God has for us in the fall. We always have one in January and then one in August. And so we are beginning week two. If you did not have a chance to join us online or in person... I would encourage you to do so. It is a wonderful thing to get those spiritual disciplines in order. As our kids go back to school, it's important that we get back into the rhythm and routine of life. And I think our spiritual lives is the foundation of everything else. It's so important that we make sure that we are spending time with the Lord every single day. And then, of course, we're preparing for September, where not only do we see an uptick in guests and salvations, but we also this year... We'll have our revival nights, September 6th, 7th, and 8th. It's going to be an amazing time in God's presence, so be preparing yourself. Make sure that you're inviting your friends. It's going to be an awesome, awesome time. If you missed out on revival night last year, just ask a friend. I promise you do not want to miss it. It's going to be absolutely incredible. And so we began this prayer series last weekend to help you understand prayer, to make prayer something that is Functional and Doable in Everyday Life. The title came from a book that my pastor, Chris Hodges, actually wrote. And the thought of it is that so many times we treat prayer as though it's only our last resort. But prayer really is our highest appeal. And so we should pray first. Like before we do anything else in life, we should pray. And we should make it a priority in our lives. And that's where the title came from. Last weekend, we started in Matthew chapter 6, talking about just some attributes of prayer. We finished in Psalms chapter 5, just some easy things that you can put into your prayer life, and hopefully you have put those into place this week. If you missed out on last weekend, jump online. You can watch that message, and it's not things that you probably have never heard before, but things that we always need to be reminded of. Today, I want to take you to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to study how Jesus taught us to pray because this teaching revolutionized my prayer life. Now, the context of it actually comes out of Luke 11, where in Luke chapter 11, the disciples were watching Jesus pray, and they came to him and they said, would you teach us, Jesus, how to pray? Now, that, that didn't mean that they didn't know how to spend time with God because they had been taught as young Jewish boys how to pray. But the Jewish culture of prayer was a culture that you would recite specific prayers that were pre-written over and over and over. So it was recitation versus conversation. And I believe New Testament prayer is supposed to be 
a conversation. So they went to Jesus and they said, obviously, what you're doing is different than what we're doing. Would you please teach us how to pray? And Jesus responded with what we now call the Lord's Prayer. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, this is the New King James Version. For all of you real Bible folks, we got the real Bible in church today. Come on, somebody. In this manner, therefore, Jesus said, pray. I want you to read it with me. It'll be on the screens. Our Father in heaven. Come on, read it loud. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. What we find in Jesus' prayer as we break it down today is an opening and a closing statement about who God is. And sandwiched in the middle are seven different requests that we'll cover today. But the thing that totally transformed my prayer life is when I saw for the first time that this is not a 20-some second prayer that Jesus gave us, but actually an outline for prayer. This is a model for prayer. It's a way that we can structure our time with the Lord. And I'm telling you, if this comes to life in your heart today, it will transform your prayer life as it did mine so many years ago when I truly discovered it. I love this teaching. In a past life, my wife and I pastored my grandfather's church in South Bend, Indiana for a couple of years and it was a totally different type of church than this is, honestly, different type of teaching style. I preached for 45 or 50 minutes back then, and we went 32 weeks on the Lord's Prayer. So I'm going to give you 32 weeks of content in the next 24 minutes and 50 seconds. So y'all get ready, because we got a lot to cover. All right, phrase by phrase, we're going to go through the prayer, and we're going to see what Jesus is teaching us. He begins with this simple phrase, our Father in heaven. Jot this down if you're taking notes. We begin our prayer time by acknowledging our relationship with the Lord. You start by acknowledging your relationship with him, our Father in heaven, because he is our Father. Romans chapter 8, I love this passage, verse 14. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. So now we call him Abba Father because his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Now, honestly, I could probably spend the rest of our time together just teaching out of that passage because it gets me so fired up. There's so many beautiful biblical truths. But in the context of prayer, there's a few things that you need to understand. Like the Lord addresses this whole concept that the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of us, the spirit of adoption that helps us understand that we are now sons and daughters of God, that we're adopted as children into his family. But what he addresses is this culture of fear. He says that spirit does not make you a fearful slave. Because one of the things that we became very aware of over the last few years, is that the currency of the devil is fear. The way he manipulates and controls is through fear. And one of the things that you have to be very aware of is that our relationship with the Lord can quickly slip into religion. And one of the hallmarks of that 
is that fear begins to become a part of your relationship with God. If you think about religion, a lot of people are not so excited about going to heaven as they are afraid of going to hell. They're afraid of what God is going to do as though God is up in heaven waiting to strike us dead for every misstep that we take in life. And the Bible tells us here that our relationship with God should not be filled with fear, that we have this adoptive, childlike relationship with him, and that we call him this endearing term, Abba, Father. Now, the word Abba in the Greek actually just means father. So what we're praying is, Father, my Father. It, it connotes intimacy, that I've got this real relationship with the Lord, that I'm in a conversation with a dad who really loves me, and that's kind of what Abba means, is daddy. It's like a child calling their father daddy. And so we begin the the Lord's Prayer by understanding this relationship with God because it's vital to the conversation. Because I think too many of us, as we addressed last weekend, think that prayer has to be formal and it has to have certain types of sentence structure in order to be received by God. But I want you to think about your kids. When I think about my kids, when they run into the den and they want something from me, they don't wring their hands in fear, all sweaty and nervous about, do we get the syntax right? Do we have the sentence structure right? We've gotta say all the right things and prepare ourselves perfectly before we go into the presence of Father. And, and then they don't come into the room and like, dear Father, we beseech thee therefore today. We are parched with thirst, our dear Father, and we pray that the Lord would open thine heart and bestow upon us the gracious generosity of a drink from the gas station. Like, no, they're just like, hey, Dad, will you take us to get-go? We're thirsty. Like, they don't have any reservation of asking me for things or coming into my presence and having a conversation. Why? Because they see me as Abba, Father. There's a a relationship with them that's authentic and real. They know that I love them. They know that I want the best for them. They know that I will provide for them. And so when they come into my presence, I pray that it's always this way. We just have a conversation. And they're not nervous about it, but they approach me as a loving father. Well, Jesus is teaching us that's how we are supposed to pray. We begin by acknowledging that he is our Abba, Father. And I want to take just a minute to acknowledge the fact, and this will be the longest point in our time together because I think it's one of the most significant, is that there's a reason why the devil is attacking the traditional family and the home. And yes, it's about the future. And yes, it's that the devil hates marriage. And yes, of course, he's trying to destroy the future of our country and society and bring all the confusion and brokenness But can I tell you the most satanic thing about it and the underlying theme, the number one reason for it all is because the devil knows that if he can screw up your earthly relationship with your earthly father, that he can make it very challenging for you to identify with a loving heavenly father. That attack was against you. So some of us grew up with maybe absent fathers or worse yet, manipulative fathers or abusive fathers. And so you were afraid to go into your dad's presence because you weren't really sure exactly what you would get or or you didn't know that he would provide for you. You weren't sure what the response would be or maybe there was no relationship at all at all and you just felt completely uncomfortable to ever approach him about anything or maybe you just grew up with a hole in your heart not ever knowing who your dad ever was, feeling lost and alone and rejected. 
So now we begin to talk about our Heavenly Father, and there's no context. You don't have a starting point for that. Because God intended for you to have an earthly father and a normal, loving, provisional relationship protecting you from your earthly father with your earthly father so that then one day you would get to know your heavenly father and it would all just be like, oh, that's how God is. But for so many of us, that's a big chasm to cross because we have no context for how a heavenly father would really love us. And I believe that's why God wants to do a deep work in our hearts to restore that father relationship because all of us need fathers in our lives and we certainly need our heavenly father. In fact, in Romans chapter, or Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, it says, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Think about that. The time that we need God the most is when we are at our worst, when we have sinned against him, when we have violated his covenant and his laws, and yet the Bible tells us in Hebrews that we should have confidence in those moments that we can come boldly into the presence of God and find the mercy and the grace that we desperately need. Think about the depth of relationship. Think about the confidence that we would have in our Abba Father to be able to do that. That is the position and the posture of prayer that Jesus is teaching us, that we would know beyond the shadow of any doubt that our Heavenly Father loves us, that He has created us, that He sees us, that He knows us, that He accepts us, that He is our Daddy who longs to bless us and to bring good gifts and blessings into our lives. That's the lens through which we should have when we pray. And every day, the devil tries to attack you and every day, the devil tries to reframe and redefine who God is to you so that we do not have this confidence when we pray. And so I think Jesus put it in the Lord's Prayer. Every time when you pray, begin like this. Our Father, dear Daddy, I'm acknowledging my relationship. God, I know that you love me. I know that you care for me. I know that you want to provide for me. And we find all of that actually in the very next phrase, hallowed be your name. Or another translation says, let your name be kept holy. What we're doing, jot it down if you're taking notes, is worshiping his name. Once I acknowledge the relationship I have with the Lord, the next step in prayer is to take a moment to lift up the name that is above every other name. Because it gives us the power through which we pray. Philippians chapter 2 verse 9. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave Jesus the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, or God, I'm acknowledging your name. Your name is holy. Let it be represented as holy in the earth today. What we're praying is, God, I thank you that I can petition the highest power there is on planet Earth. I'm so thankful for the power that's found in the mighty name of Jesus. Now, one of the things you may not realize is in the Old Testament, God revealed himself to his people through all different kinds of names. There are lots of names for God in the Old Testament. There are seven that are called covenant names of God. And what God would do is he'd reveal his will and his desire for his people through his name. And so he would give himself these different 
covenant names and the people of Israel would know what God wanted to do for them. And we would remind ourselves if we prayed God's name of all that he desires for our lives. Like he is our shepherd, that he's gonna lead us and guide us and protect us. He is our provider, the Lord, my healer. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, my peace. Jehovah Nisi, my banner of victory. Jehovah Sitkanu, the Lord, my righteousness. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is always there for me. As you pray through the names of God, you're reminding yourself that he's always there, that he is going to provide, that he is going to help you live the righteous life that he has called you to live, and that his desire is to bless you and to bring you to a place of peace and to a place of victory. You see, God has amazing things in store for us. What we're doing in our prayer time is just reminding ourselves of how great our God is. I have this Abba Father relationship. Thank you that you love me today. Thank you that I have this intimate relationship with you, that I can spend time not reciting a prayer, but having a conversation with the creator of the universe. And God, I worship your name. I lift you up. I thank you for all that you desire to do and for all that you have accomplished in my life. David said it this way, Psalm 103 and verse 1, praise the Lord, O my soul, with all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. What does he do? Well, he forgives all my sins, and he heals all of my diseases. He redeems my life from the pit, and he crowns me with love and compassion. He satisfies my desires with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagles. So we're praying and reminding ourselves of the goodness of God and the mercy of God and the blessings of God. And it begins to change our focus. See, many times when we come into the presence of the Lord, the devil has spent all day convincing us that our problems are big and that our God is small. And so for the first few minutes of prayer, what we must do is reframe life. And that's what worship does. It reminds us that our God is big and that our problems are very small and that there's nothing in this life that's impossible for him begins to build our faith. And then we pray this phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's two requests there that we will make into one statement. Jot it down. We're going to surrender to his lordship and his leadership. His lordship and his leadership. So the first thing we have to acknowledge is, God, we're praying. Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come. Now, last I checked, kingdoms have kings. So when I pray, your kingdom come, what I'm doing is the most countercultural thing I can do in the world today. I am saying, God, I'm dethroning myself. I'm no longer going to look within myself to decide what I'm going to do or who I'm going to be. I'm praying that your government would come into my life. That means I'm submitting to your law. I'm submitting to your word. I'm submitting to your standard. Whether I agree with it or not, whatever is written in these 66 books are how I am going to live my life. I am submitted to you as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because God has a way of thinking, feeling, and deciding. And what I'm doing when I'm inviting his kingdom is I'm surrendering to that. And I can tell you that this should take a lot of pressure off of your life. When you dethrone yourself from your own life, you're saying, I never had control anyway. And so praise God, 
I'm giving him the authorship and the kingship of my life. I'm putting myself under his lordship, which now puts me under his covering and his protection and his provision. And then I'm praying, Lord, let your will be done. Now I'm inviting his leadership. So I'm saying, God's in charge. Holy Spirit, lead me. That's what that prayer from Romans said. Those who are led by the Spirit are children of God. So I'm saying, Lord, today, I don't want my will I'm not looking inside of my own desires, inside my own heart. God, I'm asking you to reveal to me what your agenda is, what your plan is, what you desire, because the Bible tells us that his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and I don't know about you, but I want God's plan for my life, not my plan for my life, because God's plan is better. So I'm praying, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words... Heaven is a place where there's no more sorrows, there's no more tears, there's no sickness, there's no disease, there's no pain, there's no brokenness. I'm saying, God, bring your heaven to our earth. I know that earth can never be heaven, and there will be a day that we get to be in heaven, but until then, I want to be an agent of change in the world around me, and as I submit to your lordship and to your leadership, I pray that you would help me be a carrier of light to the world around us. That's the mission that God has given us. And typically, when I'm praying this, as I'm praying what we call God's agenda, this is the moment that I would then intercede for those who are far from God. Because I believe the thing that's closest to the heart of the Father is God's lost kids. And so it's not, it's not my request. God cares about my pain and God cares about my problems, but he really cares about his lost kids. Jesus said, I didn't come for those who thought they were already good enough. I came to seek and to save those who are lost. Now, if you're new to a church that reaches people, this whole concept will uh, probably change your perspective. It's how we planted the church. It's the perspective of, of I-Town. See, I think a lot of religious people see the world, and they see the sheep and the goats. They see the haves and the have-nots. They see the, the Christians, and God's up in heaven like, man, I'm so proud of you, and your church, you look so good. And then we see the lost people, and they're like drinking, and stealing, and lusting, and they're not in church. And God's like, ooh, bad. Ooh, I hate you. Can't wait to strike you with lightning. Send you hell, straight to hell. You're gonna burn. We're like, ain't it great? Ain't it grand to be a Christian? Ain't it grand? But that's not how God sees the world at all. The Bible says, before you were formed in your mother's womb, God knew you, which means that every single person on planet earth are God's children. So when he looks down from heaven, he sees those that have found their way home. That's what Jesus defined as lost. When you read the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, Jesus said it's those that are relationally disconnected from the Father. Some of us have found our way home, but some of us have not. And God's heart today, yes, he inhabits the praises of his people. Yes, his power is in this service. And yes, he wants to touch your life. And I believe that he has and will continue to do so. But I'm just telling you that today he is distracted by those who are not yet home. His heart is broken for the lost. I remember, I don't have time to tell this story. I don't know why I'm telling it. I haven't told it in years, but I'm going to blame you. So... Years ago, like years and years and years, like right after we planted the church, we went to the state fair. We always have loved the state fair. And, uh, and, and Kate 
uh, said she had to run to the restroom and she left me in charge of a couple of the kids, which I've always said is a bad idea. <laughs> and so I, she took one and I had two and uh, I've never been good at zone. I can never find my man. I just like man-to-man defense. I'm barely okay at that because I can't really move laterally, but that's a different story. So anyway, I remember that she left me a couple of the kids and then she went to the restroom, and as I was walking, I saw the Chevy truck tent, and I was like, well, the presence of the Lord is over there. I mean, the new, I got to see this. So they have the new Silverado out, and they just redesigned it all the way back then, and I'm looking at this truck, and I'm like, this is the most amazing vehicle. I would probably be a better pastor if I drove one of these. I really need to pray that the Lord would send me one, and right about that time, Kate came back, and she was like, hey, where's Henley? And I was like, Henley who? For those of you who are new, Henley's our third daughter. And she was, she's kind of prone to, you know, she's kind of out there sometimes. She lives her own life. And so Henley was lost. And at first it was like, it's cool. It's not a big deal. We'll f-. She's like, right. I, she couldn't have gone far. I mean, I know I saw her. You know, when you're a dad, time passes like five minutes, seven hours. I don't know. It's all the same. I saw her just a second ago. And, and, uh, and so we're, and it, it went from like, kind of like, we need to find her to desperately searching to, oh my God, we've lost our daughter. Like I may never see her again. And can I tell you at that moment, I was obsessed with finding Henry. It was the only thing on my mind. My, my child is lost. I didn't have time to celebrate some stupid colored picture from one of my kids that were found. Daddy, daddy, look at me. Daddy, daddy, aren't I great? Yeah, whatever. Henley's lost. Don't you get that? And anybody that would align themselves with my mission of finding my daughter was automatically my best friend. I want you to know that's the heart of the Father today. I think so many times as Christians, yeah, God cares about every detail of our lives. And I'm not demeaning that. I'm just saying, I think we get so self-consumed sometimes in our version of Christianity. Like, God's not answering this prayer. And I just don't know why my flowers won't grow. And my neighbor won't mow their lawn. And the trash cans are out all the time. And my life is just a mess. And God's like, are you kidding me? People are going to hell. Like, let's get focused on what matters. And so all of us should spend time every day interceding for those who have not yet found their way home. God, I pray your kingdom would come, and I pray your will would be done, including making Indianapolis a hard place to go to hell from. God, I pray that Indiana would see revival. I pray that you would break the blindness off of people. I pray that you would set people free today, that they'd experience your presence and your power. And God, any way that I can serve you in this capacity today to bring the light of Jesus to hurting people, would you help me? Now, I want you to notice that we spent quite a bit of time in prayer up to this point and have yet to mention a single request. Too many of us wonder why our prayers aren't answered, but our prayer life is kind of like, gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy. Peace. We're like, well, prayer doesn't work. It's like, no, that, that, I don't even know if that counts as prayer. Jesus is teaching us how to acknowledge our relationship with him. God, I thank you for your name and the power that's found in it. I thank you that you have good desires for me and that you have the ability to carry it out. So God, today I dethrone myself and I surrender to your lordship. God, I pray that you would help me not to live out my will, but to follow your will. 
Check it out, verse 33 of that same chapter. Jesus taught us that he's giving us the secret to answer prayer. If we would seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then all these other things would be given to you as well. So we begin first by praying God's agenda and God's will because it sets us up for answered prayer. Then we pray, give us this day our daily bread. This is when we get to the place that we ask God for the things that we need. Our daily bread. You know, I heard a story years ago about how Kentucky Fried Chicken was taken off, really exploding, and the colonel says, we need a better advertising campaign. He said, I got it. He goes to meet with the Pope, and he says, I need you to change the Lord's Prayer. I'll give you $50 million to change it, to give us this day our daily chicken. And the Pope said, that's ridiculous. I can't change the Lord's Prayer. There's no way. I'm, I, I, it's out of my control. The colonel says, fine. He comes back a couple weeks later. He says, look, we're, we're, we really want this thing to take off. We believe this partnership is really a match made in heaven. We'll give you $100 million. Think about what you could do with $100 million. The Pope says, I, I just, I just I couldn't do it. Well, he comes back with an even better offer. Two weeks later, he says, $500 million. Imagine what you could do with $500 million. And the Pope says, all right, all right, fine. So the Pope goes back to the Vatican. He meets with the bishops. He says, I got some good news and I got some bad news. The good news is we have $500 million for the Catholic Church to God be the glory. The bad news is we lost the Wonder Bread account. Get that in a minute. Daily bread. I just offended all our Catholics. We love you. Jot it down if you're taking notes. This is where we bring God our needs. We pray for daily bread. Why? Because I think, I think the Lord creates a situation where we depend upon him daily. I love that prayer that Paul taught us, that he had an unsuccessful prayer. He prayed three times, Lord, take this thorn in my flesh away. And all three times God said, no, that's not the answer that you're looking for. Because I think too many of our prayers actually are trying to pray God out of the equation. You ever think about that? God, completely remove everything from me that is evil or, or tempting or wrong and give me all of my needs all at once. But then we'd set up a situation where we actually never needed God anymore. And that's not how God sets it up. He says, no, Paul, I'm not going to remove it from you because my grace is sufficient because my power is made perfect in your weakness. You need to learn how to depend on me and have daily victory. We too need to learn how to depend on him. It's why manna fell every day fresh from heaven because every day the Israelites had to get up in faith and go out and live the life that God had called them to live in order to have provision. I think the same thing's true in daily life. I don't think it's wrong to pray for the future. I'm just saying Jesus taught us each day has enough trouble of its own. So let's pray about today. God, would you meet my needs today? You are my source. I'm acknowledging that every good and perfect gift I have in my life comes from you. So today I pray that you would meet my needs. And this is where you present that list we talked about last weekend. If you were here, the carefully prepared list of expectations in prayer. And then he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Two more requests in one single phrase. We need to exercise every day repentance and forgiveness. Exercise both repentance and forgiveness. 
I think it needs to be a part of our daily lives. And I think it speaks to the character of God that he allows us in this model for prayer to bring our request to him before we get right with him. Give us this day our daily bread. And oh, by the way, I pray that you would forgive me of my sin, of my debt. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I love that verse because, jot this down if you're taking notes. He says, if we confess. You know that word confess is the Greek word homologio, and it means to speak the same as. You know when you're confessing sin, you are not letting God know what you did because he already knows. What you're doing is acknowledging that you did something that was wrong and acknowledging that God was right all along. That's what confession is. It's saying, God, I was wrong and I stepped outside of your will and today I'm repenting, which means I'm changing direction. I'm asking that you would help me, that your power would change me and that you would forgive me. But thank God that his mercies are new every morning. The Bible says, great is his faithfulness. There's no one like him in all the earth. And so he is more faithful to forgive than we are to sin. But we have to ask. God, would you forgive me? In the same token, we have to keep our hearts right towards people. And so he says, forgive us our sins as we forgive others who have sinned against us. Because Jesus taught us in this passage in verse 14, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But verse 15 says, if you do not forgive others, your Father will not forgive you. What he's saying is, if you're really accepting the forgiveness of God, there's no way you can't let your brother or sister off the hook because there's no chance that what they did to you is worse than what you did to God. And so in light of our repentance, we must also extend forgiveness because what I have done to God is far worse than anything anybody has ever done to me. So yeah, maybe they gossiped, maybe they lied, maybe they were mean, maybe they abandoned me or maybe they abused me somehow. And I'm not making light of any of that. Those are all horrible things, but be sure that you and I spiritually have done far worse to God. So let's not be like that person that Jesus told the parable about who was forgiven a great debt and yet strangled his fellow citizen over a few dollars. I'm not going to make a mountain out of what people have done to me because I want the anointing. I want the blessing. I want the power of God in my life. So I've got to keep my heart right towards God and towards people. Repentance and forgiveness every day in your prayer time. Pastor... Uh, David Cho pastored for years the largest church in the world in Seoul, Korea. Had over a million people in attendance. Great, great man of God. And uh, he did a teaching on the Lord's Prayer one time. And in this section, he said, every single day, I have to forgive so many people because I hate so many people. That's an honest pastor right there. If Pastor Cho said that, y'all know we need to be praying that prayer. Lord, I just release everybody. I pre-release the people that are going to cut me off in traffic today that I want to give the one finger greeting to. Lord, I just ask that you would help me to pre-forgive the people. They're going to be stupid and say mean things. God, I release them in advance. And then do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You've got to engage in spiritual warfare. Engage in spiritual warfare. Now, this is a bad translation. The NIV messes it all up. It's poorly written. The Greek does not say that. The Greek says, let us not yield to temptation. That's what the meaning says. But the NIV implies as though God might lead us into temptation. But the Bible's clear that that would never happen. So what we're praying is, God, 
do not allow us to yield to temptation. And I acknowledge the fact that I have an enemy. I'm praying that you would deliver me from the evil one. We need to make sure that some of our prayer time is confrontational, not just devotional. Because there is an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything that's good in your life. And I believe we need to take a little bit of prayer time to take authority over him. He is a defeated foe. The Bible says in James chapter 4, resist the devil and he will flee. But listen to me, church. If you're not resisting, then he's probably not fleeing. Selah. Think about that for a minute. It's important that we take spiritual authority over our enemy. Father, I thank you today that you have forgiven me, that you have cleansed me, that you're going to provide for me. But God, I'm still the same day from 30 seconds ago. Chances are I'm going to go step in that same pile of poo I did yesterday. So I'm praying that you would help me not yield to that. I'm praying that you would help me be full of life, that you would help me be considerate, that you'd help me to be selfless, that you'd help me to love others today. I pray that you would help me to be the man that you've called me to be. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We close by reminding ourselves of the awesome power of God. Why? Because prayer doesn't work if it's not mixed with faith. And faith is simply trust that what we just prayed will actually come to pass. 1 John chapter 5, as we close, verse 14 says, This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we will have what we have asked of him. Listen, church, prayer works. Prayer is one of the most amazing tools that God has ever given us. If we'll embrace the right model for prayer, you'll find that it transforms not just your life, but the lives of everybody around you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I wanna pray over you today that this week, God would energize and transform your prayer life. Because I believe it's the key to living a victorious Christian life and having the intimacy with God that the Lord intended for us to have. But first, I want to take a minute to acknowledge that there are people at all of our campuses today in these services who are far from God. Maybe it's because you've never known the Lord. I want you to know that he loves you more than you could possibly imagine, that he has a very good plan for your life, better plans than you have for your own life. And if you'll surrender to him, he'll fill you with his spirit. He'll adopt you into his family and transform you from the inside out. Maybe others of you, you've only experienced religion. Maybe you've been around church, but you've never really known a relationship with God. Maybe your whole experience has been driven out of fear. I want you to know that God wants to have an authentic relationship with you, where he communicates with you, and that you sense his presence and his power. Maybe it's time to truly surrender to him in a relationship, no matter where you're at. If the next step is, man, I need an authentic relationship with God, I want to help you take that next step before we leave. I'm not going to make you stand. I'm not going to have you come to the front. I just, I just want to connect you with Jesus where you're at. So with every head bowed, every eye closed at all of our campuses, if that's you today, would you take just a minute with no one looking around just to lift your hand up high and say, Dave, that's me. I, I need to pray that prayer today. I'm ready to take that step. Come on, right now. Just put your hand up high. Say, count me in for just a minute. Yeah, good job, good job. 
all across the room. I'm so proud of you. It's amazing. You can put your hands down if you haven't already. Here's what we'll do. I'm going to lead you in this very simple prayer. You can pray it quietly in your heart because it's between you and the Lord. You just need to mean it. Just say, Lord Jesus, today I surrender to you. I make you my Lord. Forgive me for all of my sin. I repent. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me brand new. Today, I give you my life. Come on, just whisper that to heaven. God, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for every single person here and for this amazing journey of faith. We thank you for this conversation called prayer that we get to engage in every single day. God, I pray that you would help us take it from a religious ritual to a spiritual discipline that brings so much life into every area of our lives. We thank you, Jesus, for the model of prayer that you've given us. We thank you for the intimacy that you achieved for us when you gave your life on the cross. God, we thank you that we will live an empowered life following the leading of the Holy Spirit this week as your children. Lord, we know that when we pray in accordance with your will, that not only do you hear us, but you answer us. We love you today. You're better to us than we deserve. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said amen. Amen. Come on, church, would you celebrate with those who prayed that prayer? Thank you so much for joining iTown Church online today. We would love to have the chance to meet you and your family in person at one of our campuses. Or, of course, you can join us streaming live online this weekend. Now, for more details about times and locations and even some of our streaming options, you can go to itownchurch.com. I sure hope to see you soon, and God bless.